where we hear from great people building the health and well-being of rural communities right around Australia. This Build'em Up podcast is proudly sponsored by NBN. I'm Claire from the National Rural Health Alliance, together with Gabriel, our CEO and passionate advocate. Thanks, Claire. At Build'em Up, we're keeping it upbeat and personal, and we're thrilled to be chatting with Associate Professor Faye McMillan. Faye grew up on Wiradjuri country at Trangy in central west New South Wales and is now living and working further down south in Wagga Wagga. Now Faye is a rural pharmacist but also an esteemed academic and educational leader and an experienced board director. She's a proud mother of two boys as well as being a sister, an auntie and a friend to many in her world. Faye, welcome to Build'em Up and thank you for sharing your story. Uh, what were some of the best things you remember about growing up in the country? Thanks. Um, firstly, can I start by acknowledging the traditional custodians on all of the land that the listeners are going to be coming in and hearing um, my story and thank you to the National Health Alliance for having me because the voice of rural and remote Australia is really important to have. So best things about growing up on country, space, interactions, opportunities to have deep relationships and it was good. I, I don't know whether it was the time period or um, as you grow you tend to remember your past a little more fondly than when you were in it at the moment. Um, but being in the country really did mean we knew we were part of a community we knew where we belonged and how we belonged and, you know, everybody knew everybody else and that's a good and a bad thing but, you know, for the majority it meant that as young people we were safe. So that was the best part about growing up in country. Mm. And so was that in in the town itself? Um, have you got some stories about some of the, you know, silly things you did growing yeah. up in a country area or I think it's fun the, things? Like many, you're now seeing so many of the memes that if you grew up drinking, you know, water out of the tap and, you know, you knew to go home when the streetlights came on, those sorts of things remind me of of the freedom that we did have to be able to learn to grow and take risks as young people but knowing it was still being watched and supported so you know we could walk or ride around town um you know ride out of town we used to go out to red hill just out of town and um, jump our bikes and you know break limbs luckily never me but you know remembering that the risks that we were allowed to take are very different to the risks that the generation of um, younger people today are growing up with. And, you know, that was a beautiful part. And as I said, the fact that we had season passes at the Trangy Pool and, you know, we were there from the minute it opened and then, you know, go home for 
lunch while it shuts down and then you were back there the minute it opened in the afternoon and you and so it really was a sense of you were able to do things knowing that you were supported and yeah. that if you did something wrong that there was going to be a family member how that family member was connected was you know sometimes a mystery but Auntie so-and-so would be growling at you or, you know, you'd get in trouble from somebody else. So it really was an opportunity to take those calculated risks and be able to enjoy childhood mm-hmm. in a very different way to what my children are experiencing today. Okay. So, and, what, and how do you see that difference with them today? Is it just a lot more care and control around it? I think I think there is. I think, you know, I'd like to think I'm not a helicopter parent, but, I, you know, <laughs> I live in Coolamon, which is just outside of Wagga Wagga, so another small rural town, and I actively chose to live there to at least give my children that opportunity that they could ride down to the shop, that they could go and, you know, their friends could come out and they could walk around town and I was fairly confident that they're safe. But, you know, even in Wagga, I didn't have that confidence. So I chose to take my family to a smaller town so that maybe when they're my age, they'll look back and remember the time as fondly as I do, which was that opportunity to have space to make some of life's uh, judgments um, in a safe and supported place, you know, it's it's a very different world and with that feeling of growing up um with family and friends in a safe environment um with with those people around you um you know you've got a lot of um uh, well, great achievements, but one of them is being labelled, you know, an, an influencer and an influential woman. So who were the most influential people, would you say, in your childhood growing up um, through your life? Um, certainly my maternal grandmother, Daphne, my mum, my older sister. Um, at one point in my life I lived in a house that had four generations of strong women um, in Trangy. And whilst the memories are fuzzy, that notion of I knew it was a privilege and that the trials and tribulations that I saw the women around me experience and the dignity and their capacity to be so resilient and dignified in the face of, you know, now as an adult looking back at some very unfair and unjust um, policies and things that were happening in the early 70s and 80s that you now are able to realise that, you know, I don't know that I would have been as dignified. I don't know that I would have been as resilient and, you know, but they are certainly um, the role models that... I aspire to be, which is, you know, choose kindness. I am still in awe of my grandmother who's um, has left this world for over two decades, that her influence on me to date is still astounding. And then, you know, my mother who I have the privilege of having 
um, still part of my life, but living with me. So I get to give back in a way that, you know, I, I don't know that everybody is fortunate to have the opportunity, but also to understand the gift and the privilege that it is to care for those that once cared for you in a very different way. Yeah. And that term resilience, um, I think is, you know, I grew up in a country town and a country area on a farm as well, near Trangy at Wellington. Swallow. Swallow, yes. girl. <laughs> so that concept of resilience, you know, often it's talked about in terms of drought and bushfires and, you know, the, the hardship and challenges of, of living and working in rural areas. But the country spirit always seems to come through and people talk about that country spirit. Um, what does that term mean for you? It means the casserole that gets dropped at your door because somebody knows that you've had a tough week. Um, it's your front lawn's been mowed because somebody has seen that things are a bit tough. It is that sense of we are in this together, um, that we do look out for each other and that, you know, we have to create that sense of, value and belonging in a space and I think the opportunity to be in rural and remote areas and grow in a country space is truly that to to understand that you you are going to be supported and upheld by your community but you also have a responsibility to do something Mm. for your community and that might be in the way of as I said that casserole that gets dropped to somebody else's door or just the gentle you know, phone call. I remember, um, you know, not only a few few months ago, certainly this year, um, I had a phone call and it was from my neighbour and he said, I was just checking because I hadn't seen your front light come on. How lovely. And it was like, oh, thank you. And he said, no, 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 I know that things have, um, you know, haven't been great at the moment so I just and it was like thank you and the reality was that I knew he was experiencing some extremely tough times too and so I think it's that recognition that irrespective of what you're going through you're always on the lookout to see that somebody else might need your help too. Mm. So how do you think we can utilize that sort of strong cohesion that is there in rural Australia to help make our rural health system stronger because that's what we're focusing on. Yeah, and look, I I think the leadership that we have in rural and remote areas is the leadership that the nation is, is needing, um, that we have to come together. Um, we need to support each other even if it means sometimes it may not be the best for that one particular town or profession, that mm. we have to understand that if we don't do this as a collegial approach, that the only people who are going to miss out are the people who live in our rural and remote communities. But we need people to live in our rural and remote communities so that all of the things that we hold dear as part of, you know, the lucky country and all of those things that have come off the oldest surviving culture in the world is that understanding of how to care for country and care for each other and we need that to be sustained. And so I think we need to come back and understand why we joined the professions that we did and that there's a common thread that binds those professions and that's the health of our communities. 
And if we do that, then I'm hopeful that you know, there will be a change and we will start to see the value proposition of all health professionals that choose to be in rural and remote spaces taken up for that value. Um, Faye, I just want to explore a little bit about your research that you've been doing. So is it fair to say that your research is looking at um, the health system and, ex and taking the experiences of Indigenous Australians and combining that with your knowledge of human rights and then transferring that into modern practice? Very much so. I think, you know, that's when you pair it all the way back. But I think when you pair anybody's research down to what is research aimed to do and that's to create a better understanding or to seek better opportunities that we hadn't considered before. And so, you know, it is, it's about understanding the experiences and I don't like to other, but, you know, that when we can see that the experiences of those in our communities that haven't always been the best that we go, okay, what can we learn from them? Because we don't want to do that again. And so what do we learn from them so that, that our systems start to become aware of the impact of racism? Our system starts to become aware of the different knowledge systems that are held across different cultural groups that can inform the way our health can be improved and what are the opportunities to bring people together to share that knowledge in a way that is respectful, that creates that um, understanding and appreciation of, of the lived experience prior to, but the contribution of how do we take that forward into a future that allows everybody to feel that they belong. I'm going to sort of extend that question a little bit further and, and um, I guess, look, you've got a lot of experience of the um, Western health system through your own sort of education and becoming a pharmacist and also in academic research teams and things um, and heading up programs uh, in relation to education systems. But now your latest appointment of becoming the Deputy um, National Rural Health Commissioner, what is it do you think that makes a system work best for all Australians? I think it's... A system that works best for all Australians is when ego is put aside <laughs> and we consider, you know, that greater good. Um, but it's also in that process, and as you pointed out, Gabe, I'm recognised as being the first Aboriginal person to gain um, a Western qualification that led to being a registered pharmacist. But we have so much to learn from the pharmacology of First Nations peoples from around the globe that if we see our professions as being static and nothing to learn, then, you know, these opportunities of when there are learning experiences of, okay, that might have been the way we did it once, but now we know more about different um, approaches and different opportunities because, as I said, I acknowledge that for, for me, you know, the First Nations people of this country pr practised pharmacy long before pharmacy was a profession. 
Mm. And so how do we bring that in? How do we acknowledge that? And, you know, there is a large part of uh, decolonising the Western institutions, not to say that it's bad and it's broken completely, but if you're a learning institution and if you're an educational provider, you've got to look at how do we how do we attract people from different walks of life, different cultures, and that's being more inclusive. It's being more open to the opportunity of experiencing the profession in which you are going to um, train and then work in in different ways. And I think if we can get people to be open to that, that when they go to train, and in my instance, to become a pharmacist, you know, 20 20 odd years ago, the inclusion of pharmacy for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people was minimal. Mm. And it's getting better. But again, we can't rest on our laurels and go, oh, well, we're doing something. We should always be striving for, we should be doing the best. And the best changes every day as we learn more things about what we didn't know. Mm. So I think that for me is, um, you know, that space between the professions and educational providers and those that are already in the profession to go, I've still got things to learn. My learning's not done. So would you say then that this new role as Deputy National Health Commissioner is um, an opportunistic platform for you to try and make these systems become more learning organisations and to actually be more open and um, uh, adaptable and transformative? Is that sort of, what's your personal goal, do you, I guess, in, in, in this role for you? Um, my personal goal is really that voice for rural and remote practitioners and the totality of practitioners that operate in rural and remote settings in Mm. private, public, blended, that they all need to have a voice because the systems that operate them all work very differently. Mm. And we need to understand what are the levers we need to be engaging with that allow all facets of the workforce in rural and remote Australia to to be fully engaged. And my my aspiration is that, as I said, that we will start to have that collegial conversation around, okay, how do we do this intricate dance of going, if we keep our communities at the centre of what we're hoping to um, create as positive experiences of health, then what are the things we're going to have to let go of a little bit, strengthen in other areas, and how are we going to do that so people don't feel that they're losing but they feel that the community is gaining? And I think they're hard conversations for some of the leaders in in our, all of our professions to be having because, you know, it's not until you get to some of those spaces that, you always have to remember, but what was it like when I was there? Or have I even been there? Am I speaking from a place of authenticity? Mm. And if I'm not, who am I asking? And often our rural and remote colleagues are left to the last or, you know, they're brought in a little bit later or 
there's not the opportunity for them to be relieved to go and contribute in different spaces in other ways that um, you know some of our metropolitan counterparts get to do. So I think we have to start to look at how do we create the equities around um, voice and whose voice is privileged. Um, but you know, in saying that, you know, I am mindful that. Uh, you know, the office is essentially, you know, one part of a very large cog within health uh, and that we have to make sure that, A, we're precision, B, we're well-oiled, and that when we are actually put into that mix that we actually create that seamless integration into the other systems so that it's not people are focused on the cog, they're focused on what's the outcome of what comes out of that health system. Faye, just taking a slightly different tack here, but you're also part of a global community of change makers. Um, So can you share some insights with how you bring that experience back to grassroots to help improve our rural health system? Well, I think the thing is, it is grassroots. Um, you know, the global community of change makers is about investing in people rather than um, buildings, rather than systems, because it's people that change systems, it's people who build um, structures. So investing in people and providing opportunities for them to flourish in those environments, which then provides other opportunities for others to flourish. Um, but you know, so the Atlantic Fellows for Social Equity is really in this country about going, well, what are the lessons that we have learned from our First Nations people? You know, where are their willingness to hear those stories and hear them deeply? You know, we talk about deep listening rather than that superficial, you know, mother and child type of thing. Yes, yes, I've heard you. That we actually need it to be deep. We need it to be authentic and that's what change makers are. So the global community of change makers is about influencing at that very grassroots, that opportunity for people to say, you know, because you can ask the question to several different people, but somebody will say yes, and that's a change maker. Mm. So here we are. You're a change maker. Um <laughs> Going full circle back to Trangy, um, back to Faye, the country girl, what would you tell your 12-year-old self and her friends um, about the potential for life? Dream big, think small, be confident but not cocky Um, and... Small things don't mean they don't, they're not valued or they don't have a contribution. You know, you look at the value of some of the things that society holds dear and a diamond, you know, you can fit into the palm of your hand, but it holds value. And I think that's what living in country spaces and being a rural practitioner to me is that diamond, that it is something that is so valuable and you can take it with you wherever you go that doesn't mean that you have to live there forever 
that there are opportunities to learn about different experiences outside of that. But it will always inform your lens. And even if you never choose to go back and live and work there, it's informed the lens in which you've looked through. So when you make those decisions, there is often that little, oh, but I remember. So don't don't think that being in a small rural place that you're missing out. And I think, you know, as kids, it's the bright, shiny lights. It's the things that, you know, we had to wait a month before we'd go for a trip into Dubbo, for example. And so everything seemed exotic. But you know what? We're just as exotic. We're just as beautiful and worthy of looking and seeing. And so that's what I'd say. But again, you know, as a mother of a 12-year-old son who lives in a rural place, I'm sure that he would go, Mum, you're full of it. And (laughs) so I'm mindful that time gives us opportunities to reflect that when you're in the moment, um, I can see why. But I also think it gives us great opportunities to um, provide for experiences that mean we don't have to take our kids too far from home for them to get that opportunities or that bright, shiny thing. And then it's near enough to home that they can keep coming back. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Faye. It's been such a delight speaking with you today. Thank you both very much for having me and keep working rural, regionally and remote. Good luck with your role and all your other roles. (laughs) Mum. Mum. Thank you. I'm sure we'll come across you in um, plenty of other forums in the time to come. So Not too distant future, I'm sure, Gabe. I'm sure. I'm sure. Take care. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much, Faye. It's been terrific. Thank you. Thank you. Think it's time to come together and be the spark. Let's be the spark and build them up from the ground up. Don't lose heart and don't lose touch. Build them up to stay in the fight. Gotta keep the hope in the country alive. And thanks for your support in talking up rural health across Australia. And our thanks to NBN, who are lifting digital connectivity and capability across rural, regional and remote communities. If you like hearing upbeat, community-driven health stories, get your monthly build up podcast by heading to ruralhealth.org.au forward slash build up Along the lines of the cracks on a face Still the magpies sing